Welcome to episode 162. How many diets have you tried over the years or the decades and you just didn't really follow through with any of them? Or you tried it here and there over a long period of time without fully committing properly? If you have a pattern of yo-yo dieting or a habit of starting things but not making permanent change, then this episode is definitely for you. No matter the time of year, understanding the psychology of why you cannot stick to a diet is imperative to your health and also your quality and the length of your life. If you want to live disease-free and without the extra pounds on your body that you don't want, then understanding why you don't stick to diets from a psychological and biological perspective is imperative. So this one is definitely for you if you have trouble sticking to diets. Let's solve that problem once and for all. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we are in another year. Another year. Not just another episode. Another year. We've made it another year. Who knows what's about to happen this year, honestly, but at the very least, we must know the very least we can control our own world and how we choose to respond to whatever happens in it. Remember, you're far more powerful than you know, and you're never alone. That's really important. If you're listening to this show, you're definitely not alone. There are many of us, and those that understand that sentence, I'm talking to you, and for those that don't quite know what I'm talking about right there, I'm looking forward to introducing you to new ways of thinking and being within your journey through these podcast episodes. What I just mentioned will become apparent as you explore. In 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. If that sounds like something you want to do and you're ready to make a change, irrelevant of the time of year that you listen to this episode, scroll down to the show notes below and click the m.me link and send me a message on Messenger. All you have to do is send over a message to me with the word program. That's it program. It's that easy and we'll see if you're a good fit for the program or not and if you are, we'll get you started in the very next intake and I'm pretty lucky to say that they fill up quite quickly these days. So, drop down into the show notes, m.me link, send me the word program on Messenger and we will get the process moving along. And so, on that, we're going to be talking about why diets fail or why you might not stick to a diet long term. Now, given it's the new year, lots of people are excited about making the change they need to uh, make because the Christmas period made you feel like a bit of a sloth. And look, me too, (laughs) you know, Christmas can get a bit hectic. There's lots of different foods going on that maybe should or shouldn't be in there. And you feel just feel gross. And so the Christmas and New Year's period makes everyone feel like a bit of a sloth and makes everybody feel like, oh, the pain of this uncomfortableness of my diet or my lifestyle has gotten just enough that in the new year, I'm actually willing to do something about it, um, which is great. However, I want to talk to this a little bit. The issue is that not only has the pain become just enough in this massive period of overconsumption, but also you've got this illusion that you actually have more time than you do because most of us have Christmas off, the life slows down a little bit, we have a week or two off or maybe even three or four um, and so we get really excited. So the pain's gone up on our health journey and we want to make changes to our health because we're like, oh, this is uncomfortable, I don't want to be in this body, I'm sitting on the beach or I'm seeing my mirror, my, the reflection in my mirror more often and I'm like, nah, I'm done, I'm done. And the great thing is I'm off work at the minute, I've got space and so mentally, mentally in our minds, we actually 
we actually think we've got more time than we do, right? And the issue is that's great until the kids go back to school, until work kicks off again for the year and the same old hectic lifestyle from the last 10 years begins for the new year. And so we move back to not prioritizing ourselves yet again. And so the cycle continues. We gain a few more kilos this year, just like we've done for the last 10 years. But, you know, it's okay. I'll I'll, I'll worry about it next year. This is a next year problem. Let me ask you, how many times have you said that? You know, I'll, I'll do it next year when things are a little bit easier. I don't know anybody that's gained more weight and felt like losing the weight was going to be easier, right? So this is the reason that anyone, and maybe you are right now, making a New Year's resolution. I want you to think about that New Year's resolution, about how you're going to function in March, in July, in October, in November, before you commit to that change that you want to make in the first week of January. Because what feels right in the first week of January is only going to feel right again in the next January <laughs> because life has life happens for the rest of the year. And I know that big, big goals are really exciting and you get super jazzed and you get so happy you might even, you know, you get super jazzed and a little bit of wee comes out. <laughs> but there's a reason 80% of people have forgotten about their New Year's resolution before the third week of January because life happened to them again, right? Life inevitably does what it does every single year. So make sure that you check in as you make these goals or these resolutions that is there space in March, July, August, October, November, December, is there space in those months for this change that I'm introducing to be effective? If the answer is no, you need to change the resolution, change the goal because it needs to be sustainable one tweak a week. If you're new here, I say that a lot. If you're not new here, Remember, one tweak a week. <laughs> All right, so that's what that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, especially starting in the new year. But anytime you listen to this podcast, this this is going to be you know relevant. The list that I'm going to talk about: why diets fail. Um, the, and I I wanted to introduce you to this concept because if you're listening to the po- the podcast, you're probably thinking of making a dietary change or realizing that you might need to. And some of the things you've tried in the past were probably not the right things to do. Hence, why I say calorie counting and rabbit food are not things that I endorse, right? Um, so I want to make sure you know what's going on before you do yet another thing that makes that, that, that works short-term or worse, doesn't work at all, and then you end up gaining weight again afterwards. Brain fog comes back, you feel shit about yourself again, the libido disappears again, and you're back to just being like, oh, this, I'm just terrible at this. This is, this is awful, right? And the other thing is too that my personal mission stems from working in a cancer hospital as a scientist where I saw all of these disease statistics and was a part of a lot of different uh, research, um, you know, from my position in the laboratory. And every time I walked through the hospital, every time I walked through the ward, um, and I I used to go in and out of two hospitals uh, most days, I would just see in every ward not just the cancer hospital, but both hospitals in every single ward, the waiting room or the people in the beds, almost every single person was overweight. And so my passion stems from realizing firsthand in hospitals with my eyes (laughs) that being overweight or obese is the major driver. It's the major precursor to diabetes, to cancer, to sleep apnea, to heart disease, to hypertension, to depression and mental health disorders, and to Alzheimer's, which they're now uh, calling type 3 diabetes because it's so related to diet, right? So this is where my motivation stems from, is that I feel like we're all being lied to by Western medicine in regards to the fact that drugs, 
all, we've got all the drugs and technology in the world and still everybody's overweight and still everyone's sick and still everybody is dying younger and younger, right? The, the current generation is expected to be the first generation that live uh, less time than their parents. Uh, and, and look, the truth is that the information I share and the people I work with, inevitably, it might not change the outcome because we all die. <laughs> but the point is this information that I'm sharing with you means that you spend less time suffering and less time dying. Today's age, most people start their dying process around 50, right? Because then they start, the medications start coming in, the needles, injections, the regular visits to the doctors, and slowly they deteriorate over 30, you know, 30-ish, 20 to 40 years kind of thing. And it's just a painful, you know, 30% or 50% of your life. Nobody wants that. This is where my passion stems from. Working in this hospital, seeing so many people suffer because of things that can be fixed at home in the kitchen. However, we also know that conventional diet advice doesn't work either because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation right here on the podcast, which is why I want to introduce you to the five reasons that you might not be able to stick to a diet. Now, there are more. This is not an exhaustive list, but you know, I want to give you these five today because I think if you can start identifying where these five fit into your daily life and into your health routine, you will dramatically increase the possibility of sticking to the next thing that you start or fixing where you're at right now in order to make what you're doing right now far more effective. All right, let's get into this list. Number one, it's a big one. And you've probably heard me talk about it in context of sugar. So number one, are you addicted? Now, I want you to take a a few seconds to think about that because most people don't associate socially acceptable behaviors and addiction. Most people use their determinant of what is addictive or not they, the determinant they use is the law. Does the law say that you know you can be an alcohol addict, or does the law say that you can be a heroin addict, or does the law say that you can be a cocaine addict? Right. So the the question is: Are you addicted? Are you addicted to the types of foods that you're addicted to? And for most people, those will be sugary foods, vegetable oil laden foods, uh, or artificial bag a box or a can. Bliss point designed foods and bliss points for the the bliss point for those that don't know it is uh, a point that was created by uh, the sugar industry the you know the the not healthy food industry <laughs> um, which means that the fat and fat's not bad but I'm talking the trans fat the man made fat so the trans fat uh, the sugar and the salt they just reach this point where you eat the food and it just it's ultimate bliss. Right, and uh, companies have spent lots of money in order to make you addicted to these products using literally millions of dollars on brain uh, scans and psychology, and they actually employ psychologists that inform these sugar companies and inform these food companies to make you addicted. But the point is, because they're available for $2 or $3 at the supermarket, we don't actually associate the food we're eating and our behavior as that of an addict. The other question is, so one, are you an addict? You need to be real with yourself about that because if you, there's a difference between emotional eating and addictive eating. They are handled very differently, right? So if you, uh, you realize that you can't stick to a diet, it's either going to be one or two things. It's going to be I'm addicted or I'm an emotional eater. There's nothing else. It's going to be one of those two, right? Um, and so the other thing, the extension to are you addicted is do you swap it out with another addiction, right? And the thing is, most people say, oh, I do or don't have an addictive personality. The reason that the disease statistics are what they are 
and they're so incredibly high and that most of us if struggle to find, you know, five or ten skinny friends or healthy friends is because most people swap it out with another addiction, right? It's not just an addictive personality. They Everybody gets addicted to sugar because there's a biological addiction, but also there's an emotional addiction and if you and that ties in with dopamine. So dopamine is the a hormone in our brain that makes us feel good after we have the Dorito or we have the lolly or we have the chocolate or we have sex or we go and do something that makes us feel good, like complete a task at work or complete a gym workout that feels good. That sense of achievement, that feeling good, that's dopamine. However, the issue with social media uh, and food and uh, relationships and porn and all of these types of things is that they trigger on an exceptionally unnatural frequency, dopamine, right? So that's one of the reasons that so many people are addicted today. It's not about people that just have an addictive personality. Yes, there's a small handful of those, um, if not all of us actually, <laughs> right? Um, but we're all biological beings and we have dopamine in our, in our systems and we're always wired to seek dopamine because that essentially back in, you know, a few hundred years ago and beyond. So from a few hundred years ago to several thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, dopamine has been the driving force for our survival, right? Because if we didn't get a sense of achievement when we hunted or ate or had sex, the species would never have lived on. We would be dead. The problem is because we the society moved forward so rapidly, dopamine has not evolved or, or not had the years or the decades or the centuries to be able to evolve in the brain in a way that we can manually regulate it ourselves by choice, right? So we're in this situation where we've got where we might not be addicted to sugar per se, but maybe we're addicted to our own dopamine hit. And that's why we pick up our phone and go round and round and round and round 400 times a day, right? Because we've got an addiction to dopamine and, and sugar latches onto that dopamine so easily. Unhealthy foods latch onto that addiction so easily because we've got a biological, a physiological addiction to the actual substance that we're putting in our face that we get from the supermarket. And we've got an addiction to the dopamine that our brain produces at the same time. So you've got a multi-layered addiction here, right? If it's, if it's emotional, dopamine still comes into it as well. Um, but you've got to make that distinction between am I addicted because the way you handle it, the way you handle your food addiction or the, the, you might even have an addiction to the diet you're on. You might be a part of a cult. <laughs> Marty Kendall and I have talked about this multiple times and um, it's that you know people worship deities or back in the day people worship deities and now they worship diets. It's like you might be addicted to the cult of the diet you're involved in, right? <laughs> Again, that's a dopamine producing thing because you're a part of a clan. That's, that's something that's evolutionary within us. So, number one, are you addicted or do you swap it out with other addictions because the core fundamental addiction is your dopamine addiction? All right, I've said the word addiction a lot. <laughs> number two, this is number two, why diets fail. Do you surround yourself with the problem? So, do you decide to go on a new diet or, or change your nutrition or your meal plan or what, whichever language makes you feel comfortable? Do you, do you change it and you're empowered and you're actually in the right spot mentally to make this change and you've... you've analyze that you've got enough time in, in, your, in your life and if you look forward to the months ahead, yep, actually this change will be able to fit into my life. But do you go home every night or go to work every day and go to coffee break with everyone where everybody gets a coffee and a cake? 
you know, that's a social situation. So there's a bit, there's a pressure to behave in a certain way, particularly to behave in a way that people expect you to behave. So if you come up and make a, a distinct behavior change, that will often make people uncomfortable. The people around you will feel uncomfortable. And this happens a lot in Australia. Australia is exceptionally bad. And there was a, there was a, a bit of research done a few years ago now. I forget who did it, but it was basically a voted Australia as the worst country in the world for tall poppy syndrome. So tall poppy syndrome, for those that don't know, is basically when somebody starts to, in a social group uh, or community, starts to gain a bit more success or a bit more money or they have have an experience that puts them perceptively above the rest of the group, that the rest of the group will naturally try and tear them down. And Australia is really bad for this and I can speak from personal experience. So the point is here though, that in your social group, if you have built up an expectation of how you're going to behave around them at work, going to coffee, in your home with the family, in your social group with friends on the weekend or whenever you catch up with them, they have an expectation of how you will behave and and you also have an expectation of how they will behave. And if something changes and you essentially try and better yourself in a way that makes the group or the friend or the community feel like they are less, then you've got a problem. Right, That is surrounding yourself with the problem because these people will then actively try and tear you down. And I've worked with many women or many women that have considered joining my program um, have been like, yeah, look, I'm really keen. This sounds amazing, but I have a husband who just refuses to play ball. Now, this is a genuine challenge that might keep you overweight and disease-ridden for the rest of your life. And I'm not even kidding. I'm not even trying to overstate this at all. If you keep a home environment or really close friends that you see all the time that are not willing to support your change, that will literally shorten your life because you will be forced to comply by the group of people that you love to your old set of behaviors and behaviors behaviors that make them feel safe, right? Safe, certain, and not inferior because that's the thing when you start to go healthy you start noticing your unhealthy friends whom you might have been able to previously relate to really strongly you start notice them chipping away at you being like oh i bet you're gonna eat this now like oh you know leave the rabbit food for this person or oh let me guess you don't want breakfast you're fasting right they they feel inferior and people will be triggered by things that they don't have the courage to do themselves or that they failed at themselves right So unfortunately, this is a really big one. If you surround yourself with the problem, so you go home every night and the fridge is full of ice cream and the cupboards are full of uh, chocolate because all the people in your household enjoy that, you're not going to stick to the diet because the pack mentality will wear you down. You will give up and then you will blame your own willpower, right? And that's that's not how it works. Would a heroin addict successfully get clean by hanging out in the crack house? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. 
Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. It's a big point. And I know that it feels overwhelming to be like, that's a lot. So you actually need to sit down with your husband, with your friend, with whoever it is, and have a real conversation with no distraction, get everybody off their friggin' phones and have a real conversation about respecting your values and what you want to do for yourself. And even better, invite them on the journey, right? In the most loving way, non-judgmental way. Because remember, you trying to better yourself, unfortunately, particularly in Australia, usually is going to offend the people around you. It's, it sucks that we're like that. It's really shit. You sh- really, I would encourage you to get rid of those people altogether. But, you know, it's pretty hard to just kick the husband out because he's not getting on with your diet. <laughs> I know that's, that's a lot, right? But anyway, the point is that a heroin addict is not going to get clean in a crack house. And, you know, an alcoholic doesn't just say, oh, just one drink tonight. You know, like when, you're, when your loved ones or friends just say, come on, it's just Friday night, it's just one drink. Or, oh, you've been doing, doing this diet for a couple of weeks, just have, just have one chocolate, you know? It doesn't work. An alcoholic doesn't do that, right? They don't just have one. If they break their rule, they start, have to start again. And it's the same thing with diets. If you, if you break your system that you've built up for yourself, usually... If you're in my program, we will have built an emotional support mechanism that gets you back on the bandwagon really quickly. But most people will slip up because it's that all or nothing thinking and then that's it. It's over. That's it. Done. Might as well go and do what I used to do because I suck. This is the consequence of having people around you that don't support who you want to be. They might have supported who you were and who you are, but if you make a decision to be somebody new, then you might need to also surround yourself with new people. It's a big one. Number three, do you lack support or accountability? Now, this kind of ties in with the one before, particularly at home, is that you actually need, when you make changes, it's uncomfortable. You're outside your comfort zone and you need a support network and an accountability network in order to stay on track. You don't need that when things are going well. You feel amazing when things are going well. You don't need anyone. You're like, I got this covered. This is easy. Like, oh, I never knew I could feel so good. Amazing. The time when you need it is when things fall apart, when things don't go well, when you've had a bad day, when you're underslept, when the kids are driving you nuts. You need deep, empathetic connections, people that can resonate with how you're feeling, hear you out and see you for where you're at and who you are, right? Because if you don't have this support, again, you'll fail. Why? Because yet again, you're just relying on your own willpower and you're just one person right? And guess what? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So you need the support and accountability. And it's not just people that check in and say, oh, have you, have you done the thing or have you eaten the food or have you had any chocolate this week? And then when, they say, when you say, yeah, I slipped up, then they say, ah, oh, well, start again next week. That, that's, not, that's, not what we, uh, that's not the kind of relationships we're talking about. We want support and accountability, someone that's in the journey with you. And this is another way that the ultimate energy upgrade works is that the support and accountability is there for you for the entire journey of my program. Uh, whether you do one-on-one or whether you do the group program uh, is that we're there for you, give you access 
Monday to Friday, all all the time. We've got a private channel for you to be a part of, so that you've when when things suck, you can just drop in there and be like, "Hey, Maddie, you know what? This I'm really struggling. What should I do?" Or with the group stuff, popping in and being like, "Hey, everyone! Like, it's been a tough week. This has happened. This has happened." And having everybody support you in that process because they get it. They understand. They're empathetic. They're with you on the journey. If you don't have this at home. Uh, or somewhere in your world, it's going to be really hard to battle with your own willpower when you're underslept, slipped up, was in a situation, ran out of time to meal prep, did all of these things that set you up for the perfect storm, right? So you don't just want support and accountability, but you want deep, empathetic connections. Number four, do you only subtract? Now, this is a bit more practical. This is a bit more like, you know, physical, but do you only subtract? So a lot of people start a new diet uh, and they just take out calories or they take out food groups, or they take away sugar, or they take away insert food that you're trying to get off because you've got a gut issue or because you've got Hashimoto's or because you've got uh, inflammation or whatever it is, right? One of the reasons people don't stick to diets is because they only subtract, right? Now, there's three levels of transition when you're um, swapping out foods and behaviors. Um, And subtraction is the first. But if you stop there, you just leave a void. You just leave empty space. Now, there's a reason that fa- space was filled before, remember? Because if you're emotionally eating, then you were filling that space with the food or the calories or the, the, the whatever it is, the behavior. You were filling that space to make yourself feel a certain way or feel a certain thing or confirm to yourself that you are this person, right? Now, if you only subtract, what's going to happen? You're going to have an identity meltdown. You're going to be like, the thing's gone. But that's, that's how I believed I behaved. That confirmed to my identity that I was doing things that make me feel a familiar way and I want to feel familiar because familiar makes me feel safe and secure and certain of what's going to happen. And if we take that away, now I'm just left with this uncertainty and this lack of security and this like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and then you get to this point on the diet where you're just like, no, fuck it, I'm going. I'm, I'm eating the chocolate. I'm doing it. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been in a spot with food where you were like, Nah, can't do it anymore. That's it. That's often because you only subtracted. Um, And this this sometimes happens with people that remove entire food groups and go vegan or, you know, they go... And I would say that, you know, just subtracting calories is a bad idea and just subtracting um, meat is a bad idea or animal products is a bad idea. Just subtracting in either of those two contexts is terrible. But in the context of any diet, if you just subtract, it doesn't work. So there's three levels. So subtract substitute and add, right? So when you take something away, you need to fill that space. And, and, and what I mean that by that is don't take away one addiction and replace it with another. That's obviously a terrible idea. It's the same problem, just dressed in different clothes, right? So you want to subtract the food or the behavior. You want to figure out what you can substitute it with that actually produces a healthy outcome. And the thing that you want to add in is the new routine. And in my program, in the Ultimate Energy Upgrade, we coach you to do this, to figure out and identify the cycles that you've got going on in your life that lead to these negative outcomes. And we don't just say, just don't do them anymore. Just subtract them. Just ignore them. Just use willpower. We don't do that because I know you are a human. We know you're a human being. So we have to be multifaceted and complex in the way that we um, approach this problem. And therefore, we approach this by being like, okay, What's the outcome that you're trying to achieve, right? And then we go back from there. 
we go through a process of identifying the motivations and th- th- that led to that particular situation and identify the anatomy of your habits. So it's a multi-tiered process. And then we start with, okay, what are we going to subtract out? What are we going to substitute it with, right? What's the, what's the routine swap out is the language we use. What's the routine swap out that we're going to substitute what's there and what is the healthy outcome that we are going to add on the other side? Because the reality is you're always going to seek that emotional reward on the other side. You're always going to be like, I want it. That's why if you just subtract, you end up, it, it just builds up. It builds up because this emotion hasn't been nurtured or this the behavior hasn't been engaged with or whatever it is, it builds up. Because if you don't give it attention, love, respect, care, um, acknowledgement and process it, it's going to overflow. The bucket's going to fill up and overflow and explode and you won't stick to this diet yet again. Okay, so I, want, I hope that makes sense. Number four for why I don't stick to a diet is that I only subtract things. Number five, now this is a, this is a deep emotional one you've probably heard me talk about before. Number five is do you not trust or believe in yourself? Do you not trust yourself? Do you not believe yourself? Now, you might think, Maddie, what's that mean? Let me peel the emotional, profound onion the psychological onion with you right here. <laughs> so what I mean by that is have you got a long history or even a short history, but most people I come across have a long history of not doing what you say you're going to do? It's that simple. Do you often say, oh, yep, I'll get to that soon or yep, I'm going to do that today. Yep, I'm going to commit to this today. Yep, I'll get to that and you do not do it. How many times have you said, I'm going to make a change and you didn't do it? How many times have you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it? What happens is that when we do that, when we're not being truthful and real about our lack of capacity to take other stuff on board or do all of the things for everybody else before ourselves, or we overwhelm our system with obligation, that leads to an identity of not trusting and and thus failing ourself. So we build this identity within our soul that I am not someone that I can trust, right? Which is a huge reason why diets fail, right? A huge, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter which diet it is because my program could be anyone's program. If they don't deal with your inner dialogue, then we're not going to make much progress. You're going to end up where you started, right? Unless the pain is significant enough that it's time that you're like, no matter what, I'm being a different person from this moment on. But if you've created this culture within your own soul, within your own being, your own identity, that you don't trust yourself, it leads to you not believing yourself. So when you get introduced to new ideas and new diets and you start things because you're like, yep, I'm going to give this a go, you're in this situation where you're like, oh, my identity and my nervous system is really used to me not following through and it doesn't believe that I would ever be capable of doing this. So guess what you do? You inevitably self-sabotage, trip yourself up, and fall off the bandwagon yet again because your nervous system and your identity only knows failure. It only knows that I don't believe myself and it only knows that I don't have any trust in my own body. And so you find a way unconsciously, subconsciously or consciously to fall off the bandwagon and not stick to the diet. This is a big one. And so you've got to find a way and strategies to start building trust within yourself to start believing yourself again. 
and one tweak a week with this. This is huge. This is usually a really, really deep thing that happened, started in childhood or teenage years where, um, particularly for women that are mums that take on a lot, they take on a lot of everybody else's stuff and don't prioritize themselves, right? Is that you've got to start building this self-trust in very small increments, right? One minute, two minutes a day. And whatever the thing is, say, I'm going to do that thing and make it small enough that it's not hard, but make it small enough that it's not overwhelmingly difficult, but make it big enough that it's still important. Because some people, the all-in, all-out personalities, and you might be like that, I'm definitely like that, we tend to be like, oh, well, is that all? Is it just five minutes of meditation? Or it's just one little thing, or it's just adding this food. It's like, oh, I'm not going to notice a difference instantly, so what's the point, right? Now, this is toxic thinking. This is a consequence in this going back to point one of being addicted to dopamine. So the more we get addicted to dopamine, the the more we've got this all-in or all-out personality that's being, you know, created across the world, right? So you need to understand that delayed gratification is imperative for you to be able to stick to a diet, for you to be able to lose weight, for you to be able to manage your emotional eating, for you to be able to reduce the disease burden that you're currently experiencing that you're you know to to make sure that you get enough longevity out of your life that you can keep up with the kids and keep up with the grandkids if you don't cultivate this in your soul in your identity that you're someone you can trust and believe in then everything you try you will self-sabotage because that confirms to you that you are the person you are does that make sense has this been mind shattering (laughs) (laughs) I certainly hope it has. (laughs) So they're the five reasons. So I just want to summarize them quickly. So they are five and definitely not an exhaustive list. Five reasons why you don't stick to diets. One, are you actually an addict or you just swap your addiction for another addiction? Two, do you surround yourself with the problem? Are you surrounded by friends, family that are doing the problem that you're trying to solve and therefore, you know, cutting you down when you get a bit of tall poppy syndrome. They suffer from that syndrome. Number three, do you lack support and accountability on a deep empathetic connection level? Four, do you only subtract? Five, do you not trust or believe yourself? They're huge. So I want you to really think about these and I'd love to hear in uh, my Facebook groups what you thought about this episode and if you relate to any of this, chuck a post up in the Busy Mums Facebook group or the Intermittent Fasting Facebook group Um, and for all the busy mums out there, just so you know, if you're a busy mum, we talk about intermittent fasting in the Busy Mums group as well. So head there. (laughs) Everyone else that's not a busy mum, head across to the Intermittent Fasting group. So Remember to start of the year, we've got a new intake of the Ultimate Energy Upgrade program kicking off. And if you want to deal with some of the things I've talked about in this episode, um, which is what I attest to the success of my clients long term, is to jump down into the m.me link and send me a message on Messenger to say program. We'll see if you're a fit for the Ultimate Energy Upgrade program. And the good thing is too, that this isn't just the short term thing. We after the program and we've got a group of wonderful women in uh, the consistency club because change doesn't happen overnight. And so having that supportive, empathetic, deep accountability network go beyond the initial program is imperative for long-term success. So remember, when you start with us, there is never an end date. You are a part of the journey and you're a part of the ultimate energy upgraders for life so that we can all keep one another healthy together. 
All right, gang, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I would love to see it shared on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever you'd like to hang out. Um, I would love you to share it with a friend. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to uh, give us some five stars on Apple Podcast and write a little review. It really helps us grow, helps me grow this small business, which helps lots of men and women change their lives. And I really want that number to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So your reviews help us in the Apple Podcast store. Uh, your sharing it on social media lets other people know we exist and, and I exist. And so I would love your support there if you got any benefit from this episode at all. Anyway, gang, I will see you on the next episode and I hope you have an amazing 2022. So here we go. Let's hang out every Wednesday together for the whole year and many years to come. (laughs) Anyway, gang, see ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.